we're saying to all politicians, if you believe in anything from the report where we can make things better for Scotland, we are here to help. Whoever gets into power, they'll be beating a path to our door. Really. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the business of football and talk to Grant Curry, founder and managing director of the Virtual Services Group. And in the boardroom this week, Tom and Willie answer calls from listeners and provide brilliant business advice. If you have a question or simply want guidance, please get in touch by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Tom, some very sad news this week as one of your mentors and biggest influences, Vartan Gregorian, sadly passed away. Can you tell us a wee bit about him and what he meant to you? Yeah, very sad news and unexpected news. Um, so, I mean, Vartan, he was born in Trebizh in Iran in 1934 to Ar- Armenian parents. And he moved to the States when he was only 22. And he, he couldn't really speak English, but he, he managed to teach himself English and get a PhD from Stanford University, which is no easy task. He then became president of the New York Public Library, where he led a very large fundraising from 81 to 89, then moved on to become president of Brown University from 89 to 97. And then where our worlds collided, he became the 12th president of the Carnegie Corporation of New York from 1997 until April the 15th, 2021. He was just simply an amazing man. I mean, it, it, I was just checking about all the awards and recognitions he got. He got 39 different awards, over 70 honorary doctorates, six international decorations, wow. 14 civic honours, 16 prestigious medals, including the Pres- Presidential Medal of Freedom from George W. Bush. And um, when I sold Sports Division way back... Um, in the 90s and I was trying to educate myself I became interested in Carnegie and I just went to New York and I knocked on his door I didn't know him I didn't know anybody who knew him and I just asked to speak to the president I didn't have an appointment but he didn't keep me waiting long and he listened to my story and anyway long story short he became a trustee of the Hunter Foundation he became my philanthropic mentor and he encouraged Mary and I not to be the richest people in the graveyard. And on a, on a slightly lighter note, um, when he was visiting, the, visiting me once in Scotland, um, I had a spare ticket for a Michael Bublé concert. So uh, Mary and I went, and Vartan was Paul Cooney's plus one that night. Um, and we took him to see Michael Bublé in the SEC, and he enjoyed great Glasgow hospitality because the woman in front of us turned round and said, Mister, you want a wee body in orange just to help you with the concert? (laughs) (laughs) Barthan, I'm sure that he know what a body in orange was, but he took it and drank it and we had a wonderful time. So, just one of life's great saints and he'll be sadly missed. Sadly missed indeed. And if we move from generosity to accusations of greed, 
Willie, from a business perspective, what did you make of the failed plan for a European football super league? I have to be honest, Donald, I have watched um, what's been going on for the last two days since the announcement. Uh, shock and awe is no way to describe what I've seen and, and what people have had to say about it. But um, what I'd just like to say is uh, I watched Florin Perez yesterday do his uh, presentation from, from the Bernabeu Stadium and he's obviously one of the main architects behind this. And it was interesting to say that uh, they were doing this to save football, right? Let's be quite clear here they were doing this to save their skins okay this is all about covering up financial mismanagement right of a scale that you could not ever 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 imagine seven of the clubs that were in the nine that signed up have got 7.5 billion pound of debt right Barcelona 1.2 Real Madrid 900 million on and on and on so I think that for, for them to say that um, it's all about the incompetence of UEFA and FIFA and this is all about they know more about the game, I think was, was incredulous. And, and I believe that the fans have obviously made a big, big difference here, more than anything, more than the politicians. But I also think it's a, it's a good time to reflect in what is wrong with the game. Uh, and I think that we in Scotland, we have seen what financial mismanagement can do to clubs over the last 30 years. We've had many clubs go bust, we've had many clubs in financial bother, many takeovers. I think that we kind of need a, a root and branch look at what we do. There is no doubt that the costs in football, it's not the people. I watched a media analyst this morning on Ian King Live and I wanted to throw a bottle at my TV. You know, when this guy, obviously being in the media, was disappointed that it didn't happen, but he was trying to make out that we have to find a way about how we can get more revenues into the game. That's not the problem. We need to look at the costs that are in the game. How, how can it be right that we've got a player getting £600,000 a week, Gareth Bale, and he's happy to be on the golf course and not in the squad to play. Now you've got uh, Ozil at Arsenal, Sanchez before him, four hundred grand a week, not playing, not caring whether they're playing or not anyway. So I think what we need to do is we need we have to look at football. OK, well, Tom, are we, are we not losing sight of the fact that football is actually a business? And has America not got the sporting franchise business model right and we are just simply stuck in the past? Yeah, I mean, listen, I bow to Willie's superior knowledge here. Um, absolutely. I don't know too much about this and I've never had a team that I'm... You know, either a blue nose like you, Donald, or a green nose like like Willie. You know, uh, I'm, I'm completely neutral, Tom. <laughs> um, but what I would say is, is football a business? Well, absolutely, it's a business, but it's a business like no other, um, because here we're a bunch of rich business owners, and I think it is important that many of the English teams were owned by Americans and Americans didn't see any problem with this it shows you how out of touch they are actually with their fans and I was delighted to see that the customer is king here um, but and Florentina Perez is, as Willie said he, he was actually my neighbour in Mallorca Willie and um, he's doing it for totally totally selfish reasons 
his club is in is in trouble financially. But let's face it, this is one of the greediest sports that's ever been invented. And I I think I'm right here when I say that the Premier League in England, when it was formed, the clubs at the top take 93% of the TE revenue. So they have chucked the rest of the clubs in the in the river here. So what can be done? I know Willie's trying things at Queen's Park, which I applaud him for. We need to get back to our roots, but this is a business. Money talks, but on this occasion, the customer has said, your money's no good here. Yeah, I'd like to say again, it's it's ironic that Mr. Perez is is doing the the let's say the the the, the hard work of the, the the big nine yesterday by having to be the front face of the bad news. But let me tell you, him and his club are more responsible for the debt in football today than any other club in the world. Right, because that has always been their way, their MO is get the best players, get Las Galacticus and let's pay them. So they set the standards which Barcelona had to follow and everyone else in Europe had to follow. So I think it's uh, it's rich uh, or not so rich of Mr. Perez to be telling us why he's doing it. I'd like to say one other thing. I think that Gary Neville should get all the credit in the world for his stance because he was out before anyone and he set the bar for everyone else to follow. I thought his passionate speech on Sky the other night was phenomenal and everybody, everybody followed it thereafter. Now, to be fair, Gary's been involved in this behind the scenes for a while and trying to get the balance in football. He's put his own money in, he's offered. So I think uh, hats off to Gary Neville for, for absolutely setting this whole thing in motion. Are fans and politicians failing to understand the financial impact of the pandemic on clubs? And if I even take, well, congratulations on Queen's Park, Willie, on your club, the impact on them. Well, Celtic's my club, Donald, right? But I'm, I'm happy and delighted to be involved with Queen's Park. I don't, <laughs> think I, can, I don't think I can kid the people at Queen's Park on that Queen's Park was my club, but I'm delighted well, to be... I was be talking about success, Oh, Willie. yes, no, I'm delighted. <laughs> Absolutely delighted. They're my local club. I'm delighted. Uh, uh, and unlike you, Donald, I'm quite happy to say where my allegiance is, you know. All right. Yes, <laughs> Always neutral in the Herald. <laughs> but I, I think, yes, great. Um, Queen's Park... 21 years since I've won a title. Um, yeah, it was great on Tuesday evening to, to finally get the, the league wrapped up. And and the whole Queen's Park thing, it's great because we're talking about a Super League. The whole Queen's Park thing for me is all about community. It's not about, you know, trying to be involved in something that's, you know, a team that's going to go from there to the Premier League and Europe, all that stuff. It's not that. It's about building a real community-based club and we're trying to prove that that model works. Yeah, I mean, if I could just say here... Um, if football is a business, then there's something wrong with a business. If one, the owners of these businesses are not listening to their customers, and two, if the employees of that business, I mean, that's astounding that players can be paid 600 grand a week to not do anything. I mean, there's something wrong, and that cannot continue. I'd like to say that, Tom, that... Football is the worst business in the world when you want to talk in that sense, right? It's the only business in the world where you cannot build in success. Right? Every time you want something, the bar gets moved. 
Yeah. Right. So, you know, so people, fans, expectations, everything, you know, it's, it's more and more. I mean, Leicester come from nowhere to win the English Premier League, right? And the following season, the fans are disappointed that they didn't win the league again. So I would say that, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's a unique business. And, and when you, Tom, you will know this, when you have a business that is full of emotion, and it's fantastic. It's the greatest sport in the world. And it's the fans that make it the greatest sport in the world. And hopefully they've demonstrated in the last two days that they've wrestled back a bit of the power. And, and well done to everybody who took to the streets to, to make sure that happened. Well, talking about fans, they'll be able to attend the Euros at Hamden and Wembley. So, gentlemen, have you got your tickets yet? Yes, yes, Willie. Have we got our tickets? <laughs> yes. <Flashman. laughs> we, we have certainly got our tickets for Wembley and I'm sure that we'll really sort it out that we can get our tickets for Hampton. Now in the latest of our series in Great Scots, we tell the story of Johnny Walker. John Walker was born on the 25th of July 1805. His family owned a local shop in Kilmarnock, where as a teenager, John himself would manage the wine and spirits section. By 1825, Walker began blending his own whiskies, and because he did not have a brand of his own, he would eventually begin using his own name on labels, originally reading Walker's Kilmarnock Whiskey. John was often described as having a natural eye for business and a genius for whiskey. When he died in 1857, his son Alexander Walker inherited the business and it would be Alexander who would take the brand to new heights. These were fast-moving times. Britain was the pulsating heart of an industrial revolution that was set to change everything. In Kilmarnock, the railway had arrived, carrying goods to great ships travelling to the four corners of the world. Alexander's business acumen saw sales skyrocket across the globe. In 1867, Alexander introduced the iconic slanted label and square bottle with the intention of making the product distinctive and more visible on shelves. Over the years, success continued to grow, and by 1920, Johnny Walker was available in over 120 countries across the globe. The whiskey even became the drink of choice for many a movie star, and it was idolised by socialites and statesmen alike. In 1999, Johnny Walker launched its now famous Keep Walking campaign. Keep Walking used the metaphor of a journey to deliver real stories of achievement. It inspired people to think of their own journey of progress and do something about it. Today, Johnny Walker is considered the biggest whiskey brand in the world. The Striding Man, created in 1908 by illustrator Tom Brown, has become one of the world's most recognised brand icons. From its humble beginnings in Kilmarnock to the worldwide recognition it enjoys now, there can be no doubting that Johnny Walker is one of Scotland's greatest ever business success stories. Great Scots on the Go Radio Business Show. I've got a few fine bottles in my collection. Uh, a great success story, Willie. Unbelievable. But what it is, is it actually demonstrates that it's great to be an entrepreneur and invent a product, but really it was the marketing genius of his son that made it a worldwide brand. So when we've been talking in week, previous weeks about the connectivity and people getting together with the Edge or, or uh, Entrepreneurial Scotland, you may have a great idea about a product and have no idea how to market it, and that's how we should be putting people together. And I think in Tom's report, the Oxford report, in relation to our less successful scale-up model, I think that this is where we can definitely help to put people together that help them take a product worldwide. So, I love this Johnny Walker story. Uh, Ayrshire Grocer taking on the world. 
My goodness, what a great story. A couple of wee facts you might not know. Johnny Walker was actually teetotal, which is incredible. Oh, I didn't know and, that. Aye. And then Alexander Walker, who, who took over from his dad, his home is the Pearsland House Hotel in Trudnow. So there's actually a, a whiskey room dedicated to Johnny Walker in there when you go in. It was Winston Churchill's favourite tipple and Tricky Dicky. Richard Nixon's favourite tipple as well. So Ayrshire taking on the world. Love it. Well done. Great stuff. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Grant Curry, founder and managing director of the Virtual Services Group. Don't forget, if you want to be part of the board you can't afford, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. By business for business. Welcome back as we are joined by Grant Curry, Managing Director of the Virtual Services Group. If you want business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, you can email us at gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Grant, welcome to the show. Hello. Delighted to have you on. And you've got a fascinating story to tell because I think five years ago, after 25 years in facilities management, you decided to start out with your own business. So can you just talk us through your career path and what brought you to that point? Yeah, for, for me, I, I was probably a bit of a, a late starter in, in business. Um, I probably uh, knew that I was uh, destined to set up a, a business and to be self-employed probably back at uh, school days um, school for me wasn't probably that, that successful um, I think my head teacher described me as uh, you're never going to set the heather alight um, which was um, I should have given her the business plan probably at that stage but uh, so school was never really um, something I was interested in I wanted to get out as quickly as possible um, and, and get started in the business world and I started my first business when I was probably in my early 20s. I saw a niche in the, the music industry to um, set up uh, merchandising for bands and to, to purchase a lot of the, the merchandise that, that was left over from concerts um, and try and distribute that through retail channels. And I think my grandfather, who I was a uh, probably uh, was aspiring to kind of follow in his footsteps in business, arranged for me to see an accountant. And uh, I remember the accountant sitting in this a smoke-filled office with um, piles of paperwork on his desk and I remember approaching him and giving him my business plan and he looked at it and uh, he said, you know the best advice, son? And he ripped it up and he threw it into his bin and he went, go and get a job. And I, and I think that was the, the turning point for me is that I'm not going to let this guy derail me. I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, lose vision of, of this plan. So I went ahead and started the um, the business and probably the best advice now was I should have listened to that accountant. <laughs> and the business plan was flawed. Um, but, you know, it was the, it was probably one of the, the best learning curves for me in business. You, you, I couldn't pay f for that, that education, basically, of all the failure and mistakes that I made. And yeah, Tom and Willie have uh, talked about that as they learn more sometimes yeah. uh, from failures than success. I, I think so, and I think I, I learned a lot from that. And I... I Probably I learned harsh lessons from it and uh, a fear of probably having that happen again. And that's probably my regret, is that I 
didn't get rid of that that fear and get back into business again. And I think that's why I'm probably quite passionate now about helping other people that are probably not making that that leap at the moment or are probably had that experience and are being hesitant about um, going back into the, the business environment. And then I, I spent the next 25 years in FM um, in facilities management, um, learning from the ground up um, how the industry worked. Um, but that probably that disruptive mind was thinking about all the, the various ways we could we could improve the, the client experience. Who, who did you work with, Grant? I worked with uh, CBRE and I worked with uh, OCS, uh, Dalkia Energy and Technical. Um, uh, started in the shopping centre industry, so I actually managed um, MacArthur Glen uh, facilities in their designer outlet in Livingston to start with. Uh, moved across to Buchanan Galleries in Glasgow and, and was their operations and facilities manager there. Um, and that was my, my move into facilities, very much shopping centre based, um, and worked for those brands and, uh, over the years. And probably in the last... Um, five, six years, I decided that I, I really should now start to, the, the areas that I felt were being missed within that environment, I now need to try and, and move that, that business forward that will hopefully fill those gaps. So what was the motivation for setting out on your own? I, I think having spent that number of years in FM watching um, how the client was experiencing the delivery of facilities management, um, um, how people um, were being managed on it as well, um, how they were, they were treated in the workplace. Uh, and I'm a, a huge admirer of what Steve Jobs did with his products, and I think he has intense focus on controlling it from, from start to finish um, and making sure that the, the, the design and, the, and how the product was delivered. And I think that's something we've been very... Uh, keen on from the start is to one make our product more a remote service um, but we control through technology how we how we deliver that product to the customer um, and every as aspect of it if you like has been designed and um, and implemented to make sure the experience to, at the end of the day is, is the best it can be and I think that's where I personally wanted to go into that space to try and and change all the things I had probably experienced um, over the years and try and make them better for the client. So you established <coughs> Virtual FM in 2016 and then expanded into Virtual HR, Virtual Health and Safety. Uh, can you tell us what makes your business different? I think COVID has has changed a lot of, of um, uh, the, the marketplace and I, and I think it's um, a lot of businesses are now looking at that that headcount um, and probably how they can cut costs and, and, and obviously the hybrid working environment as well that I think you were discussing last week as well in the show about how uh, businesses and, are modifying their workplaces. And, and we sort of took that approach, again, very similar to how the app market is working. You know, people now are used to that. What we are trying to do is, is provide a very similar opportunity where we've got a range of outsourced virtual services that can plug and play with the client's business and through that technology they're they're able to decide through subscription and tailoring that service to exactly what they need and, and um, cost-wise within their business. So Grant, as someone who is delivering physical FM across the globe, I'm delighted mm -hmm. to, to, to hear how do you 
deliver FM services virtually? Well, it's mostly, to be honest, it's a, it's a across the board on both a virtual and on a physical presence as well. But I think the technology, the AI technology on the buildings now um, are, are very much monitoring 24-7 uh, the assets. Um, so we are probably now, rather than having those building managers on those, those uh, properties or those facilities managers, what we are now doing is monitoring assets that um, we can respond to the tenants in those buildings or the occupiers very, very quickly. Um, if a, a boiler goes down or an AC unit goes off and the and there's a change in the uh, the environment within that workspace. And we're able to, to remotely access that building as well for compliance. So we're able to read the temperatures of of, of uh, water in the tanks and, and also within the, the outlets uh, without having the, the physical presence within those buildings. So technology is a big part. So what you're doing is you're, you're trying to be ahead of the game. You try to be the, the technical data provider that's, that's, that's trying to be ahead of the game. Like, you know, like people fitting sensors on bearings and lifts that tells you in a week's time it's going to break down. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's very much the predictive failure yes. um, that we are monitoring. Um, and then as, as part of that design, we've made sure that this is where it then interfaces into the physical uh, presence on yeah. the sites is that we then have control over that function. We self-deliver that function to make sure that we, um, both our help desk is integrated with that um, technology. Um, and then we're integrating it with our field-based staff to respond very quickly to those buildings. Yeah, it's funny this because across the globe, um, all our larger clients now they are more impressed with our management information services and our data, especially in energy now, than they are with our actual physical, you know, of, of delivering the service. So, and, and that's what wins us contracts. So, mm-hmm. this is where the whole industry is is, is moving now. And it is, you, you just can't be a large FM company now without having that backup. And I do know that mm-hmm. some other companies prefer to have a, a you know an independent deliver of data so that's obviously there's a niche for for the for what you're trying to do Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. I ask what size is the business now and how many people do you employ? Well, we we employ 150 people. Um, we probably onboarded about 100 of that through the lockdown. <laughs> so it was, uh, and, and it, it was very much a case of continuing with our growth plans um, uh, as we had intended. Um, we're now a national looking after from Aberdeen to Portsmouth on delivering all our soft and, and hard services as well as uh, the integration of the, uh, the technology within those those client properties and is that an in-house product or do you buy in a platform no no we've, we've a bit of both because we've got a, a, a CAFM software that is uh, off the shelf from another um, provider but we've adapted and modified and worked along with that AI technology to to integrate into that, that software package so that we're really joining up from the building to the to the desk to the to the handheld device of the engineer so that everything is is controlled from that um, from that point of that signal being received to to us arriving and sorting the problem. I'm interested, how do you market your product? To be honest, we we do very little marketing. Um, I I have found since we started the company that a lot of our... um, success has been down to clients that have grown with us um, and I, I see that as being a tremendous achievement in um, having clients that give us more of those buildings across their their, their portfolio and uh, and have grown with us and, and various clients large and small um, and it's been their referrals that have allowed us to to 
pick up more business as we go. So marketing has not really been something we've uh, we've thought about to, to this point. So if you're growing, you're obviously doing something right. So word of mouth is, is, is working and clients are getting you to do more and more. I, I think so. And I think I think in this business idea is, is very much a case of the, the client and our people are, are the key to, to what we, we have. I've always said to our team that um, our client and how we treat our people in the organisation is uh, the, the rest of that, the finance, the profit, um, will all be a byproduct of what we we deliver as a as a success to our client, and we we basically strive every day to focus as that is our priority is to make sure the client gets the very best service they can from from virtual, um, and also how we treat the staff as well. Um, creating that culture that, that brings them to work every day with a, with a smile on their face. Very good. Um, Grant, it's, it's, it's great to meet you and I, I love the story. Can I, can I take you back? Because I think you made a couple of really interesting points. One was that school wasn't really for you and it's something in the Hunter Foundation we've been grappling with a long time and is that, you know, one size doesn't fit all in education and sometimes people who have a business now are a wee bit awkward at school and can be seen as disruptors. I think that's a very positive trait. And um, we can maybe talk about stuff you would like to see happening in school. And the second thing, if you could maybe talk to it, is this fear of failure. I personally believe it still holds Scottish business back. Um, whenever we're looking to invest and I'm all about the entrepreneur that we're back I'll ask the entrepreneur tell me about a failure you've had and how you've coped with it and if you haven't had a failure go away and have one and come back and see me later um, I think there's something in the Scottish psyche which we need to get out there maybe the media as well Donald um, pounces on people who have failure but failure is one step on the ladder to success. So um, what do you think, Grant? Well, I, I, I agree with that. I think, um, firstly, going back to the schools, I, I think it's, it's vitally important that we probably educate entrepreneurs at that age. Um, and I think there's a lot more work to probably uh, bringing people into schools to talk to kids Um Failure, I think, as well. I I also believe that I think people, um, there's probably not enough support for people out there that have had a failure. Um, and I think it's, there's a bit of a stigma around failing uh, and the, the after effects that it, that it can leave an individual in, um, both financially. Um, and I think we probably need to work better at how we, we move people that have got those skills um, through that system. So if they have a failure, um, it's not a bad thing. It's a learning point, and we move them on quickly to to getting them into to the business, and that's giving them the confidence, but also the financial confidence that I think we just need to look at how we we support business better. Grant, it's interesting that the similarities between myself and yourself. You, you said when you went to see the headmaster, and he said to you, "I don't think you'll set the heather on fire." My headmaster, when I told him I wanted to stay on, told me, "No, I'm not. You have to leave, and your dad will get you an apprenticeship." And please don't. <laughs> set the school on fire <laughs> what advice would you give to anybody thinking about launching their own business I would say go and do it um, and 
you, you fear the failure, but you actually probably could be denying yourself and your family from the the, the, the benefits of that success. Um, and I think until you you take that leap, um, and, and for me probably um, my my fear only uh, sort of dropped away, if you like, after I lost my daughter. Um, and I think that's where, you know, I think for anybody that's gone through the loss of a child, it, it takes you to a completely different level of, of low and uh, a, a place where it's, it's quite difficult to get back from. And I think um, for me, anything that was a fear in business up to that point very quickly disappeared. Um, and I think it also at that stage probably changed your outlook about going into business. It probably from going from somebody that probably maybe wanted to be successful financially and, and, and in business, the turning point after Lauren's death was very much a case of um, kind of very humbling experience going through that, that with Lauren. And I think it, it focused on the business about how do we help other people within this organization? If we, when we set this company up, it has to be about people. And it's very much kept to that through how we treat our own staff, but also how we go into the community and help other um, marginalised individuals that are, are unable to get work uh, and try to help and support them into that, that path. What about giving the company a plug? Tell people the full name of the company and where you're based. Um, well, we're Virtual FM, well, we're Virtual Services Group, because we've now put a, a, a group holding company in place now for the various brands that we have. So Virtual Services Group, and we're, we're based up in Peel Park in East Copride. Um, and the, the the community projects that we've we've developed is is the virtual purpose, um, and that's what we we sort of use now to to look at how we develop individuals that are uh, refugees and homeless uh, or those with addiction that have had a past where it's very difficult to get into a sector. And what we're trying to do now is fund that that progress for them into um, work placements and uh, give them a qualification or a trade um, that will help them um, within virtual or, or to go outside of that. Fantastic. And what's the goals, the aim? Have you got an idea of how you'd like to grow and what size you'd like to be by 2025 or anything like that? Uh, I'm a mere tiddler um, in in the grand scheme of things, uh, Willie. I think um, I think your business has been a huge inspiration for me uh, over the years. Um, watching how you've developed uh, um, and the job creation that you've got in Scotland and and throughout various countries. Um, if we can emulate a small percentage of that, then then that would be a fantastic achievement. Um, but I think. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in the presence of a, a, a titan in the FM environment. That um, so I'm a mere tiddler within that that market. That's very kind of you. We we need loads of tiddlers, right? And uh, <laughs> you're 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 certainly on the path. I, I believe to to setting up a substantial business. And uh, absolutely delighted that you've came in this morning to share that story with us. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Yes, yes. brilliant, brilliant story, Grant. And. More power to your elbows and good luck to you. Thank you. Indeed, good luck to you, Grant. Coming up next is the board you can't afford with Hunter and Hockey. So if you're looking for some business insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie, please just email us at gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk because we do welcome your calls and your questions by email and please do drop us a line. Also, you can join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The board you couldn't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. 
Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with business advice, insight and inspiration. It's the board you can't afford. If you do have any questions you want read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. We really love to hear your calls and get your questions, so the more the better because we know from feedback is one of the most popular parts of the show. And Donald, I think we, we'd like to get a message out there to, to all the businesses that listen to the show that um, it doesn't matter whether you're a small business or a big business. If you want to call in, don't worry, there's no chance you're getting embarrassed. We're not going to quiz you, we're just here to help. So please keep firing in the emails and if you want to call in, we're delighted to take your calls. Great. So we're going straight away to our phone lines and first we've got Justin Wingate who's the publisher and editor of On Trade Scotland magazine. Welcome to the show, Justin. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we? We're all very well. What's your question for Tom and Willie? My question is is quite a straightforward one. Um, with many businesses um, rightly receiving kind of financial support since uh, the pandemic hit and the, the problems that's you know kind of unfolded over the last year, eighteen months since last May, obviously as I said, there's a lot of organisations been getting that financial support, whether it be through grants or whether it be through loans uh, through the kind of banking industry or set up the government there's obviously a lot of organisations and companies that have now recently set up in the middle of the pandemic or kind of during this kind of period that haven't had the same access to whether it be that kind of funding through the banks because of the restrictions that, that were put in place which is, is obviously kind of challenging for them is there any kind of avenues, kind of expertise that can be gained or kind of sought for those types of organisations? Because some of them will maybe start to find it challenging as things reopen to, to move forward on a level playing field with those kind of more established businesses, if you like. Willie? Morning, Justin. Morning. I think it's a really good question. And I, I've been astounded at the amount of people that have told me over the last few months how long it's actually taken now to open a business bank account. Yeah. Right? So even new businesses that are starting up, it can be 10 weeks, 12 weeks, which is incredible. So I can imagine if it's taken that long at the moment to actually open an account, I think getting help from banks at the point you make at the moment uh, and from government is going to take that bit longer. Um there is avenues, you know, especially for startups. You know, we've mentioned them in weeks prior in relation to the Entrepreneurial Exchange, Entrepreneurial Hub, um, Entrepreneurial Scotland, the Edge Fund. So I think that there is, but I think that the the question of traditional help in banking for startups and for businesses, I think, will be like treacle. I think when we open back up again. So I do think it's going to be difficult, but. Um, to answer your question, there is other avenues. There's also, depending on how good your idea is, there's VC support, you know, so, you know, going to people who are looking to invest in businesses. And I think people now are more and more turning to crowdfunding, which I've got to be honest with you, I don't really actually understand all of it, right? But it seems to be very, very successful. I know it's been very successful for Brewdog and other businesses. Um, so I think that there, there is, uh, to answer your question, there is other avenues and it's just kind of seeking them out. So Tom, any advice there for Justin? Yeah, so Justin, great that you've 
phoned in this morning and great to meet you. Um, I think it's a really pertinent question for the whole of Scotland, actually. And this is this is the whole reason that Willie has put this show together, because it's for business by business. And the best place to get business advice is from fellow entrepreneurs and fellow business people. And the one thing I've learned, I've been trying to do this for a long time, is that the peer-to-peer support and the peer-to-peer learning that goes on is something that differentiates Scotland and it's the best way to learn. So going back in time to Entrepreneurial Exchange, now Entrepreneurial Scotland, things like Scottish Edge, things like the incubators that both Willie and myself supported. I'm still doing the one down in Ayrshire. And they're all about folk who've had a wee bit of success putting something back and helping people like you who are trying to get started. I really think Scotland leads the world in this. I really do. I think there's a brilliant system and community support for this. And we will help you get plugged into it, Justin. So was that helpful, Justin? That certainly is. It's certainly fantastic. As, as I say, I think the, the show itself, I've been listening to the show since since it launched, and it's been kind of inspirational listening to, um, you know, a lot of the kind of feedback that, that you guys provide. And, and as I say, from that kind of inspirational standpoint, it helps people grow and it gives that kind of confidence to be able to approach the right areas. Um, I, I think it's fantastic. Genuinely, thank you very much. Justin, and just finally, so of all the advice that you got there, please find out what you can about the entrepreneurial hub, right? And there's, there's one in Glasgow, and that is the place for you where you can, you know, get a lot of the knowledge that you're you're looking for. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Justin, good good luck. And, and, and even if you just send us a wee email, let us keep us up to date with how you're doing and see if that was helpful for you. Yeah, good luck. Certainly will. That'd be fantastic. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Tom, in the past, you've often talked about being a disruptor, and I noticed that the new boss of Zoopla wants to set up a website where homeowners can edit a page dedicated to their property and track other homes they might want to buy. In effect, a million people move homes every year, but 10 million view homes online, and he's trying to use classic disruptor tactics to create and stimulate demand. What did you think of the idea? Well... As you know, Donald, I love disruption and I love disruptors. I think it's something we need to get into our education system because kids, and I was one of them who was maybe a bit disruptive in the classroom, were a wee bit different. I'm sure Willie's a big bit different um, (laughs) um, when he was at school. But, you know, one size doesn't fit all in our education system and we've got to recognise that not a negative trait, actually saying to someone, the status quo is not acceptable and I'm going to find a better way of doing it. I think that's the way we all need to get a bit instilled in us and that's what will take Scotland forward on the economic map. Willie? Well, I certainly think since the inception of Zoopla they have been disrupting the market and I think this is, for them, it's just the next natural stage. So, but uh, anything at all that is, you know, a new product that drives the cost down for the consumer, I'm delighted to hear about it. We've got an email question from Sean Milne who asks, 
What should businesses large and small be doing to help tackle the climate emergency and how can they begin to future-proof their activities for either ethical or legislative requirements in future? Willie? I just think that everyone now should just think, start to think green every single day of their lives. You know, I've, I've, I've been doing it now for months and months and months. My house, I, I can't walk past a light switch without putting it off. You know, and I think that if we get, you know, if we can introduce that to the workplace, we can get people tuned in with what we're trying to do here. I think if everyone does a small fraction to help what we're doing here, I think we can make a big, big impact. Some of the, the, the messages we've been getting this week from John Kerry, you know, saying that the, the catastrophe is already here. I think that we have to look at this seriously. And we and again, we've mentioned that I think Scotland could be at the forefront, right, of, of green technology. So this could be help the planet and help ourselves by creating jobs. Tom? I think... As Willie says, every business needs to take this on because, again, the customer is king and customers are demanding to know what's your credentials as a business. You know, what are you doing to help save the planet? I'm going to buy from you if I like what you're doing there and if you're not, I'm going to boycott you. That's what moves this debate forward, in my opinion. Jeff Bezos, the founder and departing CEO of Amazon, had an interesting message in his final annual update to shareholders. It was a really good read. Any key takeaways for you, Tom? Yeah, so first of all, every single person who's listening to the show, not, not even if you're not in business, get a hold of Jeff Bezos' shareholder letter. Just Google it and it will come up. Jeff Bezos took to writing shareholders' letter annually and I look forward to it every year. This is his last one as CEO because he is moving to chairman. He always talked about when he started Amazon, it was day one. And what he meant by that was he wanted, as Amazon grew, to keep the small business sense of urgency, sense of achievement, building the team, etc., as he grew into a big business. And it is a masterclass absolute masterclass. I mean, just some of the things in it. Last year, only last year, Amazon hired half a million people. So they brought on board their business in one year, during the pandemic, 500,000 people. It's unbelievable. And he just talks about where wealth has been created because some people criticise Bezos for being worth, you know, 150 billion personally. But he breaks it down and he makes it clear who the wealth's been created for. And it's not just him, it's the employees, it's the shareholders who are pension funds, etc. It is a masterclass. I sent it round to all of my team. It's a must read. Well, you talked about wealth being created. Uh, a fascinating article I read this week said that Toby jugs are now collector's items with the most expensive fetching £65,000. So the question to both of you, and I'll come to Willie first, what's the weirdest, most valuable thing you've bought as an investment? Well, I can answer that easy, and it happened very recently. I went to buy some nice books at an auction and I bought a regimental drum. <laughs> and when it came in my house, I couldn't for the life of me work out why I bought it. 
Was it valuable? Um, I, no, it wasn't. It didn't cost a lot of money, but I have to say it was a complete and utter waste of money. I, I'm thinking I've taken the skin off it and putting a plant in it. <laughs> Tom, ever made a weird investment? Well, I, I don't usually buy things, but there was something come up just the other week at Bonhams in London, and it was a piece of manuscript in Robert Burns's own hand, and it had been sat in between the pages of a book for 200 years. And this had come up, and it was written about the River Cree down in Kirkupisha. I decided to buy it, and we're going to use it somehow to bring people to Newcomlet where I was brought up and make it a point of interest there. So that was quite an interesting thing. That's great. That's giving something back. Someone else who is giving something back is Matt Moulding, who's the entrepreneur who you'll know well, Tom, created the 7 billion e-commerce giant Hut Group. He's giving away 100 million of shares to charity and donating all his salary to good causes. What drives and motivates him, Tom? Yeah, well, I mean, I was lucky enough to meet Matt way back in 2009. Um, Willie's met him because he's been my guest in Glasgow for many years now. I think, you know, Matt's from humble beginnings. Again, didn't go on that well at school, interestingly enough, but he's simply the best entrepreneur that I've ever backed. And we talk about these things, you know, he made great paper wealth when the company floated and I got Bill Gates to drop him a wee line and um, you never know what influences people. I'm very proud of what he's done and good luck to him. Willie? Ah, oh, fantastic gesture and it's it's funny that you know, this week when it's been talked about we've got we've got nine other guys trying to become the richest, greediest people in the world by trying to change football and then you've got, you know, uh, local boy made good and the first thing he wants to do when he becomes very very rich to see what he can do to give back and I think if more and more business people followed what Matt has done and guys like Tom and what we're all trying to do we're all trying to do our bit then I think the, the planet would be a much much better place but well done to Matt fantastic gesture Well lockdown restrictions are being eased tomorrow any particular plans or bars or restaurants that you've solely missed and are you feeling now much more optimistic about the hospitality trade, Tom? Yeah, well, I mean, the place I'm going to go is James Mortimer's 29. I absolutely love it in there. The steak is the best steak I've ever tasted, and I've, I've tasted a lot of steaks around the world. Best steak, and James lets me use a wee office at the back. I don't pay any rent, which I quite like. And um, But, yes, just getting back... Having a meal with people, it's just it's just one of life's great pleasures. So I'm really looking forward to it. Great, Willie. Uh, well, I was delighted this week to get a haircut, so that was great. And uh, I'm looking, I'm actually going to a friend's house on Saturday night now that the restrictions have been lifted, and he's been hounding me for weeks and weeks and weeks. But um, we wouldn't break the curfew, so I'm delighted, and I'm looking forward to getting a, a big steak and a nice glass of wine. But like Tom, I, I can't wait to get back into 29 and really, you know, to have a lovely meal out with more friends than, than we're allowed at the moment. You've been sending in suggestions on how to build on the show's success and what they would like Tom and Willie to talk about. Um, the best ones, of course, will receive a copy of the Scottish Enlightenment book by Arthur Herman, signed by both Tom and Willie. Some fascinating suggestions already. Any messages for the listeners, Tom and Willie? I, I just say that this show's for yous. 
you know, don't be intimidated. Give us a call, write in. Delighted to hear from you. And if we can help you in any way, we'll be delighted to do that. And also, what we'll try and do is we're going to take the, the best caller, our best email that we have each week and hopefully get 12 people over 12 weeks and maybe invite them to come for a dinner with me and Tom in the, the, the town or something like that. And again, it's going to be a dinner plus a wee bit of business at the end if we can help you. So please write in, phone in, whatever you like. We're here to help. Great, so that's dinner and a book for the best suggestions. Tom, anything to add? Well, I can't wait to Willie buys dinner. It's not really happens very often, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. The Regano is booked, Tom. <laughs> I, I just want to know if I'm invited. <laughs> it's debatable, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we can find a chair for you, Donald. <laughs> In that wee back room that James has got for you, Tom, you can have dinner. I'll have my own sandwiches brought in. Absolutely. For full details on how to get that book and for all you need to know about today's show and information and how you can get involved and connect, visit thisisgo.co.uk. Don't forget you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you get your podcasts. podcasts.